0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. If you made it through last week's episode, thank you, congratulations, I listened back to some of it and was like, this is insufferable (laughs) for anyone who does not know me and or Andy in real life. Our conversation was annoying and long, and that basically was just like, hey, I haven't recorded this podcast in a really long time, and I don't know what to say, let's just have our, (laughs) you know, however long it's been, bi-weekly, monthly, however. You know we're busy we're adults and let's just catch up on tv and then you just all got to listen into our private conversation which sometimes can be interesting and sometimes not so if you listen to that whole episode i owe you one <laughs> but we're back with a more regular episode this week it is oh god what day is it it's september it's we're more than halfway through september and around this time is when i would be we all would be gearing up for like the new tv season and if you're young and don't know what that means (laughs) before every season was tv season back before streaming and we when we were just cable was releasing series all the time we had broadcast seasons and there were like four channels abc cbs nbc and fox and on one of those channels you would sit down in front of your tv and you would turn it on you would just watch whatever the fuck was on didn't matter didn't matter what it was you would watch it and if you even kind of liked it just a little bit you would keep watching it and sometimes if you missed it we didn't have dvrs we didn't have streaming we couldn't catch up you would just have to wait until there was a rerun and sometimes that meant that if you wanted to watch it and you watched that rerun people would catch up on reruns they'd be like oh what's this show nothing else is on let me try it and the season would run from September to May and there would be hiatuses around Christmas and into the new year, which we still kind of do. Sometimes like right after February and then again right before May. And this was all to like build suspense and to get people invested to run those reruns so people could come back to the finales and the big episodes and know what's going on and be invested and be parked in front of their TVs watching. And we did this for every night of the week, all the shows, and. (laughs) <laughs> that model is dead. It is very dead. Um, but, you know, the broadcast network still exists, uh, especially this year in a very different format. It's... I was just thinking how strange it is that the, the pandemic, quote-unquote, ended, but we're right back where we were, like, three years ago when we can't make anything because of the strikes that are going on with the Writers Guild and now the Actors Guild. And along the lines of those strikes... Not a whole lot of new scripted content is premiering because a lot of networks are holding on to things, or production was shut down when strikes happen, so like, for example, American Horror Story starts this week on Wednesday the 20th on FX, streaming Thursdays on Hulu, and it's a 10-episode season, and I believe they filmed the whole thing. But they're, because there's a lack of new content, they're splitting it into two halves. So we're going to get five episodes now and another five episodes at some other date to be announced. Same thing with Chucky. I mentioned this on the podcast last week with Andy. That that's an eight-episode season, and they did not finish filming the season before the shutdown, the, the strike. So we're going to get four episodes in October leading up to Halloween, and then the next four, who knows? And it's this weird model that like is mirroring kind of like COVID when we all just started watching a bunch of old shit on Netflix and, um, and reruns and stuff like that, that we're back in that same place, which is wild and crazy. And I don't like it, but along those notes of the strike, uh, my, the first piece of news is Drew Barrymore and her TV show. So Drew Barrymore, um, was going to bring her talk show back starting today, the day this podcast releases, Monday the 18th, and she was going to bring it back without writers. And her reasoning was that, like, she provides news, which she does, I'm not begrudging her that, but um you know like in her round table it's with like uh what's his face from drag race ross matthews is there sometimes danny pellegrino who i've mentioned before i love his podcast he's there sometimes and there's like you know she discusses news with other people and it's kind of like the view but more pop culture-y and less political um and more funny and jokey but all of that is written by writers, obviously. So she was going to bring it back without writers, and I think it was going to be a half an hour, and it was going to be more um, more news-based rather than segments and interviews and things like that. Because if you didn't know, now part of the SAG strike, the Screen Actors Guild, which are the actors, part of their strike now is that they cannot promote things that they have already filmed, which is cutting into a lot of A lot. (laughs) Just a lot, period. You know, uh, Dave Coulier and maybe John Stamos, I don't know if I'm making that up, I didn't pay close attention, had a Full House recap podcast that they put on hold because of the strike. Um, Actors who have movies that are premiering and shows that are premiering aren't doing press for it. I have two friends actually who had Amazon shows come out this summer. Um, My friend uh, Alex and Jen who I used to do theater with when we were all in high school. Alex is the lead on an Amazon series which I loved and will probably recommend at some point called The Horror of Dolores Roach which was based on a podcast. Um, He was the lead in that and it came out in July and it I mean, probably flopped. I didn't see shit about it because no one could promote it, including my friend Alex. And then uh, my friend Jen Jacob was in the first two episodes of a new Amazon series called Shelter, which is by Harlan Coben, who you probably recognize the name. He's a very popular author. And she was in the first couple episodes of that, and she couldn't promote that she was in that either. And it's wild and crazy. So, like, anyway... The whole point of this is that Drew Barrymore was going to bring back her show without interviews because of the SAG strike and without writers because of the WGA strike. And she's gotten in hot water with a lot of people, mostly um, other actors, like Alyssa Milano chastiser and said, I love her very much. This is not the right move. Um, it impacts the strength of our movement. And uh, who else? who else yelled at her uh deborah messing yelled at her bradley whitford said drew barrymore would like you to know that undermining union solidarity at the most crucial moment in hollywood labor history makes her the victim this has been like a super tough week for her um david krumholtz from the santa claus and a bunch of other shows uh commented on an apology she posted and said uh it's complex for thousands who continue to strike and abide by strike rules. You could shut it down and you'd be considered brave. You'd be forgiven. What makes the strike more complex for thousands of people is you making a decision that hurts their efforts in trying to achieve a fair deal. Deborah Messing said, you can choose now to halt production. You can choose to pay your employees like other talk show hosts who have stood in solidarity with their writers. And all of this is just like wild to me because I understand both sides. The, the actors and writers are trying to make sure there is no new content, because that strengthens their argument. I'll get to more about that in a second. Um, but then, at the same time, it's not just actors and writers who work on these shows. There is an entire crew of people who are going to be out of work because two parts of production are on strike. like The writers being Out of work on The Drew Barrymore Show means that the camera operators are out of work, the makeup and hair people, the assistants, the sound people, the directors, that the entire, these dozens and dozens, on some productions up to hundreds of people are out of work because writers and actors are striking. Is that fair? Is that fair to those people? Is it fair to Drew Barrymore that Deborah Messing is saying you should be paying these people? Now, I don't know if you've ever met someone who works like a labor intensive job like that, like being a sound grip or something. They're proud people. They're not the type to want a handout from their rich boss, which, like, I would feel weird taking that. Like, I don't know. Well, I work at a church and if the priest was like, we're eliminating your job, but I'm going to continue to pay you out of my pocket, I'd be like, no, that's fucking weird. But that's what other talk show hosts, quote unquote, are doing. And I don't know who they're referring to. Maybe like Colbert or Jimmy Fallon or somebody is. I don't know. But like, why are you, why don't you have the same energy for The View? Whoopi Goldberg is SAG. She's hosting The View. Why aren't you yelling at her? That's been on the air for a couple weeks already. Why aren't we screaming at Whoopi Goldberg? Why aren't we calling her a scab and a traitor and making fun of her the way that we're making fun of Drew Barrymore? It's weird. It's so strange. It's like rich white people like tr- holding this thing over other rich white people, and what's being lost in all of this is that those people are not the ones suffering. So the fact that they're the ones who are loudest is weird to me. Because like, in Drew Barrymore's case, the people on her show that are suffering are not Deborah Messing and Bradley Whitford who might come on once a year and promote something. It's the camera operators. It's the makeup person. It's the PA it's the assistants. It's those people who are suffering. And in the the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild, the people who are suffering, it's not fucking Alyssa Milano or Leonardo DiCaprio. It's not the people who make millions of dollars per project. It's people like, going back to my friend from high school, Jen, who is in two episodes of an Amazon streaming show. She's being hurt by these strikes if she can't work. Do you know what I mean? Like, this the fact that it's in months and people aren't working, the people who are suffering, it's not it's not who you think it is. So for them to be the ones that are like leading this charge of like condemning people like Drew Barrymore is just so strange and it feels very icky. And you know what else feels icky? The CFOs, the people who are in charge of these companies who are prolonging the strikes. So, oh god, this past week, um, The, what's his face, the CFO of Warner Brothers Discovery, which is the company that owns uh, Max, which used to be HBO Max, he said this week, his name is Gunnar Weidenfels, and he said this week at the Bank of America Securities Media Communications and Entertainment Conference, he said, quote, for a decade in streaming, an enormously valuable amount of quality content has been given away well below fair market value. So, you know, when you pay your $100 a year to watch max content with ads, or your $150 a year to watch max content without ads, which, by the way, still does have an ad or two, for only five seconds, um, or you're paying your $10 a month or your $15.99 a month, whichever plan you have with max, you're just giving that away to charity. It's being given away to you. You're not, what the fuck is wrong with this man? Like, i pay for max i hate it that that streamer since the merger with discovery and it's garbage hbo barely puts out new content all the shit they're supposed to be putting out is on hold or being delayed the gilded age season two is finally starting at the end of october but i've been waiting for that for over a year uh the new season of true detective was supposed to start in the fall it's not it's now starting next year or sometime like, they keep delaying content because of the strikes now. And that is, that sucks. Whenever I watch a movie on Max, like, what just came out? Um, the, uh, the Flash. The Flash just came out. And I was like, I'm not going to see the shit in theaters. I'll watch it on Max. There were commercials, like, every 10 minutes. And because these movies are not meant to be watched without commercials, you'll just be in the middle of a scene and then, boom, it cuts to 30 seconds of commercials or a minute of commercials and then just picks up in the next scene. It's so jarring and weird. But just in case you were unaware, you weren't paying for that. It was being given away to you. All this to signal that in the middle of a strike when there is no content being produced and very little being released, we can probably count on Warner Brothers Discovery increasing the prices of Max and other services like it. Similarly, Disney, in regards to money, disney struck a new deal with spectrum which has some 15 million customers across the country because they were fighting with each other and all the disney owned channels went dark on september 1st now you may be like okay the disney channel whatever no no disney owns abc espn and a whole bunch of other channels why is this upsetting to people well abc gets Saturday Night Football for colleges, the big college games. ESPN obviously also has Monday Night Football, as does ESPN, um, or as does ABC. And ESPN is the exclusive home of the U.S. Open, which was also occurring during this blackout. And Basically, it's like it's something that Spectrum customers pay for and they're now just not getting access to. So this went on for a couple of weeks and they finally struck a deal which restored some of the channels. But Spectrum customers are now going to lose uh, Baby TV, whatever that is, Disney Junior, Disney XD, Freeform, FX m FXX, nat geo wild and nat Mundo. so all of those channels are gone they will still have access so if you have spectrum to disney channel national geographic national geographic oh my god why can't i say national geographic <laughs> fx your local abc stations and espn that's wild like you're just you can't get that shit anymore like they're just taking channels away and especially with uh, like The one that's most shocking to me is Freeform, which is one of the original cable channels. It was Christian Broadcasting Network back in the 70s. And yeah, it's like tumbled over time. And like, this is another issue across the board with all these channels with, streaming services with these giant companies like Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery is that they have all these little channels that are just zombie channels they're called where all they do is air like reruns and old programming so like people aren't watching them. And Freeform is that most of the time. There's some original content but not a whole lot. And then except during like Halloween and Christmas people don't really watch Freeform and they only watch it then for Hocus Pocus and Home Alone and Elf, you know what I mean? But all of this signaling that like the way that we're consuming content has vastly changed and these companies aren't keeping up with us, that like they're going to keep charging more and more and more for services like Disney Plus, like Hulu, like Max. And at some point, you know, it's the bubble is going to burst. And I I mean, I think it on some levels already has. But think about all the streaming services you have. Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Max, Paramount Plus, Peacock, Apple TV Plus. And that's not to even mention like the smaller specialty ones. Like I also have Wow Presents Plus. Um, You know, if you're paying separately for like Showtime or Stars or. MGM Plus or any channels like that you maybe get through Prime or like Shutter AMC Plus, Screenbox, all of these like specialty channels as well. We're paying more for these streaming channels than we did when we had cable. And, you know, when are we going to say when? I don't know. But the time seems to be coming soon and they seem to know it. Like, I don't know, this whole, I'm trying to tie this all together in my mind, but like, it's so fucked up when we have these strikes going on where they're like, we just want our money. And the companies are like, but we're not making money. But then you look at the difference and like these CEOs, these CFOs are making like hundreds of millions of dollars every year. And the Writers Guild is asking for, for example, Disney Plus, what they're, ceo dave whatever Iger or whatever no whoever the other one is that came back he makes like 200 million dollars a year these warner brothers he will make like 200 million dollars a year so what he makes in a month is what the wga the writers guild is asking to give them in a year to go to all of their members and this man's like no i'm keeping all of my money and it's just wild to think that they're going to throw this back onto us, the people consuming the content. We are, go- when they, this deal is eventually reached between the actors and the writers, we are the ones who are going to be paying the difference. It's not going to be these enormous companies. They're going to start charging more for their services, and that's how they're going to make up for, you know, having paying their actors and their writers fairly. We are going to be paying for that. And that's fucked up. It's messed up. I hate it. <sighs> anyway okay what am, what am i going to talk about this week so there's not a whole lot going on like i mentioned how many times now there's not a whole lot of TV, and i talked about all of the bravo universe with andy last week um so this week i want to talk about a hallmark movie uh, i just i loved it called notes of autumn um Let's, let's go there first. Let's talk about notes of autumn, okay? Because I, as I'm recording this on Sunday, it is a lovely fall day. My windows are open. The sun is shining. It's like, I don't know, 67-ish degrees. There's a light little breeze coming in. There's very low humidity. It's fucking gorgeous. I love fall for this exact reason. I had my apple cider-flavored coffee this morning, and I had a pumpkin donut with it and its I wore my robe to watch this movie in, and it was just perfect. So the movie is called Notes of Autumn. Now, I've mentioned before, I don't usually watch the Hallmark movies that aren't Christmas. I know that applies to a lot of us, or a lot of people, and I'm not going to say that anyone who (laughs) listens to this podcast even bothers to watch these Hallmark movies, but I do. But I'm going to tell you what this movie was about, and who was in it, I think you're going to get it. So Notes of Autumn stars my all-time favorite, who I've praised up and down on my Twitter, on this podcast for years, Luke McFarlane. Oh God, I love him. It also stars Ashley Williams, who I also adore, who is so quirky and cute and funny. And then it, uh, they are friends. They're not the couple. Twist. And they switch places. One lives in the country, one lives in the city. And they switch places, and they get to know each other as best friends. So Luke McFarland's best friend is played by Marcus uh, Rosner, who you'll notice from literally everything. He's that hot Canadian guy in everything, including a few Hallmark movies. And uh, Ashley Williams, sorry, brain fart. Ashley Williams' best friend is played by Peter Port, who... Is lovely. He looks like a Disney prince. He literally, like, looks like Prince Eric, um, with like a touch of Gaston as well. Oh, I'm sorry. I just I got lost for a second. Anyway, <laughs> so the story is: Ashley Williams plays Ellie, who is a classically trained pianist, and but now she's working in event planning because she was like a concert pianist but then she auditioned for um some orchestra leader in Philadelphia who was like you play like it's your job and not your passions then she's like you know what that's not why I should be playing piano so now she doesn't perform anymore she does event planning and she's good at it but she's also scatterbrained and quirky and a weirdo and she lives in the city, and her best friend is Leo, played by Luke McFarland. And he lives in Canada, in the outskirts of British Columbia, in like the fall capital of the world, right? And he is a famous romance author, which like, pause, um, I used to write queer romance. Uh, and let me just say, not a whole lot of men in that field. And uh, and if there are, they're not writing under their own names. They're writing as women. Women, Sorry. This is not no shade to any women who listen to this or who I'm friends with. Um, You don't like to read about romance from a male perspective. Understandable. Even a gay man's perspective, it's understandable that you don't want to read about what a dude thinks about romance, right? Anyway, that sidebar. Okay, so he's a famous romance writer and he's like got writer's block for this like 15th book in his series, I think it is. But his publisher's up his ass, like gotta give us this book. The the women need more masturbation material, more bodice ripping, clearly Bridgerton inspired. So he's stuck. She gets fired from her job and they decide they're going to switch places. And Leo's going to go to the city and Ellie's going to come to the Canadian wilderness. So while they're gone, Leo says, okay, you're a concert pianist. You're going to help my friend, Sam, who is planning the piano ball, but he's leading a string quartet and they're going to be playing Autumn by Vivaldi from the Seasons Concerto. And I told him he would help, but she's like, but I don't perform anymore. And then obviously Sam's like, but you're good girl. So they, you know, she rediscovers her love of music and helps the string quartet sound better by also discovering the connections to the music and it's very lovely and it's there's a lot about leaves and how leaves that are fall is the most romantic season because even though the leaves are falling, they burst into a burning field of colors or some shit before they fall to the ground. And it's like this big display of beauty before it all falls apart and dies. But it's also a reminder that, you know, in order to survive that the tree still lives even though the leaves are dead. Or whatever. And then while Leo is in the city, um, Ellie's friend Matt, who's a chef, is going to do a pop up of his restaurant. And he's going to use Ellie's kitchen to cook because his kitchen's too small. But so when Leo arrives, Ellie, who's a scatterbrained, you know, weirdo, we already talked about that. She, she's not, she gets distracted very easily, forgot to tell Leo about Matt being there. So they walk in on each other and they scream, but also fall in love because they both are the most attractive men on the planet. And I would have liked this to be on a different network where we could have seen some skin. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anyway, so Matt and Leo start to fall in love, and Leo, you know, starts to it gets shown around the city by Matt. So Matt helps him overcome his writer's block. And Leo's like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be writing another bodice ripper. Maybe I should be writing the story I want to write, which is about gay rival architects who fall in love. It's called Cornerstone. Starts writing this book, sends his publisher. Publisher's like, No, bitch, I told you I want the, the ladies need to masturbate. They need more steamy historical romance. Write me that shit. And then he gets all upset and he runs away and Ellie gets upset because, you know, she doesn't want to play in front of people or whatever weird stage fright thing. So they go back and they swap places, but then they both realize that they're in love with each other's best friends. And Ellie's in love with Sam and Leo's in love with Matt. And they switch back places just in time for the big piano ball and Uh, Matt comes with Ellie or some shit. Unclear, there's no scene there, but basically, I, I guess they're all like, you all love each other, stop being dense assholes. And then they all come together at this piano ball and Ellie plays the piano and then she kisses Sam and then Leo and Matt watch the ball and they realize that the reason that matt's food is so good is because leo inspires him and the reason that leo's new book is so good is that he's finally honest and writing about what he knows and it's because matt's come into his life and they have this new relationship and like oh there was a really good line okay so as they're like reconciling right um matt's uh leo says or wait a minute Regardless, Ellie is like, you know, this is the best thing that Leo's ever written, Matt, and it's because of you. And Leo says, you know, she told me that it was because of you that this is the best thing I've ever written. And Matt says, No, it's because of it's because of you. And Leo's like, No, it's because of us. And I was like, Yes, motherfucker, God, that's such good romance writing. Like it's not good writing, right? That like that sounds very silly and stupid and cheesy. But in the romance world, that is some good shit. Just like the thing about the leaves, where I was like, that doesn't really make sense. Because at the end of the day, we are watching death happen all around us. Which is not the most romantic thing. But it is symbolic of, like, change and new beginnings and all that shit. Which, like, why didn't you just say that? Why didn't you just say that, like, you know, in order for the flowers to burst into color next year everything else has to die first and it has this season we have to shed the skin of this season so we can you know look beautiful after the winter Or i don't fucking know i'm i didn't write this movie i'm making it up as i talk to you into this microphone but regardless like in romance that shit works in the maybe not so much anything else but you know anyway but this movie okay so it ends with the straight kiss and then the gay kiss. And Leo and Matt kiss and it's like it's like two perfectly chiseled marble statues making out. It reminded me of like when I was a kid and like I played with my Batman and Robin dolls and I used to make them kiss. Because I don't know if you know this, but we're born this way. <laughs> like at, at four years old, I didn't know that that wasn't quote unquote normal. That's what I was doing though. Making the Batman and Robin dolls make out and like it reminded me of that. We're like two perfectly chiseled pieces of plastic. We're just like making out. And like that doesn't sound all that hot, but it was. It really was, I promise. And and then there's like a split screen. So you see both kisses happening at the same time. And then, who It was good. It was good. It was good. It was really good. It's streaming on Peacock right now until I think Tuesday. So if you listen to this after Tuesday, the what what the 19th, I guess maybe sol on peacock but it'll be re-airing on hallmark it, it's it's a fall movie so you got until countdown to christmas starts like the, before halloween they're probably going to be rerunning this movie because they you could tell they spent some money they got luke mcfarland back he was supposed to be done magical christmas village was like supposed to be his sayonara to hallmark channel but then he had baby a baby or babies i forget which um i think maybe just one I can't keep track of the gays and their babies because the, Pete and Chaston had twins, so I, I feel like Luke and his partner had twins, but maybe it was just one. I can't remember, but he had a baby or babies over the summer, and I don't know if this was like a great chance to work near home or if he was like, "Oh, I need to provide." I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, where was I going with this? But oh, they, but Hallmark like wooed him back. He was supposed to be done. He was like, "I'm in a, I'm in a big box office gay rom com, bros." I'm. I don't need I, i'm moving on up but then you know strike happened and they get they can move around the strike because canada so maybe he was like I, I, they're giving me money right now i'm gonna take this job i don't i don't know but kudos to hallmark for getting him back and ashley williams is wonderful and they finally got peter port back like i don't think he's been in a hallmark movie since the second gift to remember he oh that's who he was if you know him he was in the gift to remember movies um the first one and the second one with ali larder not ali larder What's her name? I forget her name, but she's also queer. So it was like the two queer people playing straight people in a movie together written by a queer guy, which was just like all kinds of, you know, head fuckery, but loved it. Um, I don't think he's been in a Hallmark movie since then. That was like 2019, I wanna say. And he made Dashing Through the Snow on the Paramount Network with Juan Pablo Depache from Fuller House, where they played a couple, and I haven't seen that yet, but I want to and that was his first gay christmas movie so i just i have to say this movie is adorable it is so cute it is legitimately funny like there were actual funny parts to it whenever leo is writing his historical romances um two actors from i think when calls the heart reenact his lines and they're very funny and it's it's always like him in his own head and they do a lot of direct-to-camera jokes like it's a Victorian romantic The Office it's very funny and it works very well and I really liked that and Peter Porta is just so charming and sweet and naturally funny and Luke McFarlane smiles and it's like the world doesn't exist anymore and Ashley Williams is so quirky and offbeat and weird and cute and adorable and then Marcus Rosner has the best hair in the entire universe and you can oh he's just so handsome with the stubble and the jaw and this just really worked for me. It just really worked for me. Like, there's lots of autumn, there's lots of fall. I mean, they're playing Autumn by Vivaldi for crying out loud. Like, they they were like what we do for Christmas movies, where there's just Christmas everywhere. You know, you need to fill that frame with Christmas. If they're walking outside, there need to be Christmas, there needs to be garland and lights and wreaths. If they're inside, there's a Christmas tree, and it's decorated to high heaven with balls and garland and lights. And... There better be a train going around that bottom of that Christmas tree, right? It's kind of like that, but with fall, where everything is gourds and pumpkins and orange and yellow and brown and red, including their wardrobes. And, uh, you know, even the food that Matt's talking about cooking is... You know this is a squash soup or whatever that i'm making everything is just very fall very autumn it was very cozy and seeing all the trees in canada oh it was so good i highly recommend it it was and just i'm I'm gonna end on this that if you follow me on twitter i have been manifesting like why do i love this movie is that it was made for me i've been manifesting this movie into existence for four years since 2019 I have been tweeting at Hallmark and into the ether that when you have Luke McFarlane in your stable of actors, put him in a gay movie. Like this is you know the year of or after I forget which the Zola ad controversy where uh, Bill Abbott pulled the ad because it showed two women in wedding dresses maybe kissing maybe not I remember and they got involved in that whole controversy. How would you over, give us a queer movie, give us a movie with gay people. And they already had gay actors in their stable. They had Luke McFarlane and Jonathan Bennett and Peter Port and uh, Robert Gant and others. I was like, why don't you just give us a movie with these people, like you have Luke McFarlane. He is one of your biggest male draws on this network. People watch Hallmark movies specifically to see Luke McFarlane in them. They do not care that he's gay. They, they believe him with women. They'll believe him with men. Put him with man. And every single time I tweeted about that, I mentioned Peter Port in it because he also is out of the closet and married to a man and very attractive and perfect looking, just like Luke McFarland. And I tweeted this literally every year, once a year for four years. I tweeted, give us a gay movie with Luke McFarland and Peter Port. Give us a gay movie with Luke McFarland and Peter Port. And here it is. i i I secreted this into existence like this is why so many white women 10 15 20 years ago made vision boards my vision board was just my twitter account i didn't realize that i was speaking notes of autumn into existence by and not because i never even specified to make it A Christmas movie. I didn't care. Just give us any movie with Luke McFarlane. Because he does non-Christmas movies with Hallmark. He did that Taking a Shot at Love about the hockey player. And he did the Valentine's Day one where he was a chef. He does other ones. I was like, just give us a Luke McFarlane movie where he's fucking gay. Where he's gay as shit and he falls in love with a hot man. And you already have all these other gay hot men. Use one of them. And they did. Like, there is no excuse for shit like Red, White, and Royal Blue casting straight actors. And all of these other gay rom-coms that are getting made... Or gay movies in general getting made where they're casting straight men. When Hallmark Channel can cast two out actors to play a gay couple in a movie, major studios can do it too. I loved it. Oh, I loved it. And of course I did because basically, if you watch this and like it, you're welcome. Anyone who enjoyed this movie, you're welcome because I made it happen (laughs) on my Twitter account. Oh God, I loved it so much. Okay, where are we at on time? We're about 35 minutes. Okay, I wanna talk really quickly about a show that I mentioned last week that I was watching um, and not enjoying because it's bad, but I'm watching it anyway. And it's called Survive the Raft. And speaking of, it's on Max. It's airing on Sundays on the Discovery Channel, but then it's on Mondays on Max. And that's how I'm watching it. And basically why am I watching this is because I realized I pay $100 a year for Max and I barely freaking use it. So I better start watching some shit on it. And this is one that I chose because the commercial looked fun. And boy, was the commercial a lie. Okay, so Survive the Raft is a reality competition series, kind of like Survivor. And it takes place on, they call it a raft. It's not a raft. It's a fucking boat. It's big. And they're floating in the middle of the, I don't know which ocean. Indian Ocean? Canary Islands, Somewhere around there? I don't know. Atlantic Ocean? I don't know. It's very confusing. They say that it's based on this 1970s experiment called the Akali experiment, which I've heard of but never really knew much about. And basically it was um, Santiago Genovese, who was a full, an anthropologist who came up with like this idea to put a bunch of people from disparate backgrounds on a raft floating in the middle of the ocean and just like tell them to survive together. Would they make it? And the answer was no. <laughs> um, they did not make it. They Tore each other's shreds, the experiment failed. So ostensibly, that's the idea for this series, but that's not at all what it is. It's basically, it's Survivor, but instead of being in the jungle, they're on a boat. That's it. Because they've also introduced this element of competing for money and tempting people with that money to steal it. Like, So they do these challenges, they make money for it, and the money goes into a pool. And at the end of the show, whoever's left splits the pool. But then in these challenges, individuals have the opportunity for temptations, which is like, Like, you know, you can take this thing and you get $20,000 out of everyone else's money, but then no one will know that you do it. You just get $20,000. So basically like, you know, is, does individualism win out over collectivism? Which is an interesting question, but the way that they handle it is just completely stupid. Like it has nothing, like that's a really interesting question, but not for a reality competition show. Do you know, like, because there's when you're factoring money into it, it becomes a different thing. Like, the actual experiment of people choosing themselves and their own selfish needs over the needs of the group would have been interesting when it's just people surviving together. You know, at what point do we stop being nice to each other? And oh my God, is that the real world? When people stop being nice and start getting real, it's very that. Um, that like when do we stop being nice and just start looking out for ourselves and you know because at the end of the day that's what this is we, we we are animals you know we have this we have empathy and sympathy and all that but at the end of the day we are animals and our own survival is what matters so that's an interesting question but that's not what the show is the show is basically a bunch of people who are not supposed to get along. And they're trying to force them to get along. But then at the same time also introducing these elements. To force them into not getting along. Like introducing money. Like introducing starvation. You know what I mean? So basically it's all of these strangers who are. I will give them credit for casting a very interesting. Not people people. Because the people themselves aren't interesting. But in theory. Interesting people. Like there is a trans man. And there is. Um. There was a black woman, there was a Muslim woman, there's a white lady who describes herself as a Karen and is like anti-vax and proud of it. There is a, a vegan from Montana and it's uh, this overweight white guy who you think would be white trash, but he's actually a political activist and a Black Lives Matter activist. And it's really interesting, like the personalities, but if they were just living together, on this boat that would be so much more interesting than competing for money it like they had a good idea and they fucking ruined it like take the idea of the Akali experiment just do that again but with cameras and air it on tv but then you know the reason that uh Genovese thinks that the experiment failed is that it was a set group of people so then they also start bringing in new people and then you replace an old person with a new person but then that just leads to clickiness and it's It's a mess. And I hate the people. They're so stupid. They're so awful. There's the vegan's name is Marissa. And in the first couple episodes, she said that she felt physically unsafe around um, Lashana, who was the only black woman on the raft. Because she got into a fight with the only Muslim woman on the raft. And Marissa said she feared for her physical safety because of Lashana. Now, Lashana never got violent. She barely got loud. And... It was just basically like, well, if you think that you know me, you better think again. You don't know me. Like, that was the extent of the fight. And Marissa says she felt physically unsafe. So they voted Lashana off in, you know, one of the first episode, like, three or four, I want to say. And then after that, there's all these people who have started, like, actually fighting um, and actually threatening each other. Like, Tara, who is the Karen who was anti-vax and awful. You know, she physically threatened people. Like, she threatened to hurt people, to hit people, um, to, like, get revenge on people. And Marissa never said shit. So it was very clearly racially motivated, but they're not interested in addressing that. Like, that has never come up. Even though it's very clear to me, and based on Twitter, other people who are watching it, that Marissa is, on some level, very racist. And with Russell, who is the BLM guy... There, you would think that he might see this and talk to her about it, and they might air that, but it hasn't happened. And then also, Marissa is a vegan, so every time they kill a fish because they need to, you know, eat, she screams and cries and gets upset and yells at them. Like, but she's still there. No one's voted her off. Instead, they voted off other people who have quote-unquote started issues by questioning whether or not there are people who should be there. Like Tara, who doesn't do shit. Should Tara be here? And then she got pissed off and threatened him. Marissa, who's complaining about the food and killing animals and stuff should we maybe get rid of her and then he gets like he's bringing up valid points and he's an asshole don't get me wrong he was cj he was not great he was a dickhole but he was making valid points but he's gone and then they this guy um oh god what's his name jimmy who is from outside philly and um, they were gonna vote him off because he's a slime ball and he wants to steal the money and he's not in it for good reasons he thinks he's running the whole boat like they talked about getting him off and then elliot who is the trans man was like wait we've already voted off people of color if we vote off jimmy he's full syrian then we won't have any people of color on the boat so they're aware of the racial implications of what they're doing But instead of doing it when it matters of like, hey, here's someone who wants to steal all your money and is sowing discord within your group, but you're not going to get rid of him because you don't want to seem racist, but then you don't want to address the fact that Marissa felt physically threatened by the black woman for no reason, yet you still voted her off. Like, it's fucking wild, the shit that is going through these people's heads and watching it play out on TV is infuriating. They're all awful. There are very few people that I am enjoying. Russell seems like a good dude, but... Why? Like, he has an injured hand, and CJ brought up, like, maybe Russell should go because he can't do half the challenges, and they then Russell's like, I'm so betrayed by you. Fuck off. Like, these are, we're trying to survive. The literal point of the experiment was, like, survival of the fittest, right? Like, you're not the fittest. If this was, you know, bef- hundreds of years ago, and we're all living in the jungle, you would have been dead by now. Because you can't fend for yourself you know what I mean like it's very strange and everyone sucks I can't stand the people I kind of like Elliot but then also he's the one who brought up this whole like we can't vote out Jimmy because he's Syrian which is like a point but a stupid one when he's the reason that you're about to lose money and he's throwing challenges and he's making you all fight it's so stupid like the fact that we can see this all happening I don't know how they can't You know what I mean? The fact that Marissa's still there and all she does is complain that like people are flirting and that's inappropriate. People are killing fish and that's inappropriate. I'm looking at bodies every day. Like, bitch, it is a fish. If you can't, why did you come here? What did you think the show was going to be? Did you think everyone was just going to eat twigs because you yourself are a vegan? Get the fuck out of here. It's such a strange show. It is so bad. At this point, I hate everyone so much, and they are all so stupid, and they're making the worst decisions. At this point, I'm just watching in hopes that they all lose, that someone steals all the money, and they can't split anything, or that the raft floats. The raft floats. (laughs) Or the raft sinks. That's what I want to happen. I want the raft to sink, and I want them all to have to swim to shore and be like, oops, all of our money was in that raft. Guess we all lose. I want them all to lose. That's where I'm at. God, I hate it. And if you want to hate, watch it like I am. It's Sunday nights at 9 o'clock on Discovery Channel. The finale is next week, and you can catch up. It's streaming on Max. Okay. Very quickly, my recommendation of the week is on Hulu. It is called The Other Black Girl. And it's based on the best-selling book by um, I'm not trying to say her name, it was either Zakia or Zakiya, Delilah Harris. It was um one of my favorite books when it came out in 2021. I loved it. It is about a woman named Nella, who is the only black woman working at a prominent New York publisher. And she's gotten used to like the microaggressions, and she's trying to like claw her way up. She's she's an assistant, but wants to be an editor. She's like trying to claw her way up this corporate ladder, and she's the only black girl. And then one day she walks in, and there is another black girl, the other black girl, who is also hired as an assistant. And Nella's like, oh my god, this is amazing what I've always wanted, we're going to be best friends. But then it ends up being very competitive between the two of them. And then it takes a very supernatural, mysterious twist as well, which I'm not going to spoil because it's very interesting. And now the show is by the woman who wrote the book. She is the developer alongside the actress Rashida Jones. But the book differs a bit in some very key areas from the show. And I don't know if they're necessarily like better ways, but it does make the show more watchable for sure. There are 10 episodes and they are about 20 to 30 minutes a piece. You can speed through the whole thing in an afternoon and I recommend it. It is very bingeable. It is so well done from the music. The casting is so good. Nell is played by a newcomer named Sinclair Daniel, who is perfect and is very uh, relatable and likable Um, Because, like, one of the things in the book that I think a lot of white reviewers had trouble with was trying to relate to Nella, because, you know, most white people never have the experience of being the only white person in a room. Um, so it was hard to relate to but I I didn't feel that I mean I didn't feel it in the book either but I especially didn't feel it with Nella like she's just so warm Sinclair Daniel brings such a warmth and humor and lightness to the character that it really makes her feel like you're every everyone's best friend like you know exactly who this woman is regardless of race or, or even gender you know who this person is we all have That the person we're rooting for, that we respect, that we can call for drinks, that has that is deep but also fun, um, that can talk pop culture as much as she can classic literature. I loved it. And Ashley Murray from Riverdale, and the Hallmark Christmas movie, Christmas in Harmony. she was josie on riverdale she is hazel who is the other black girl and she is so cool and funny she has some great one-liners like oh we should go to this party anna wintour might be there you know maybe she'll want to pitch us a book on i don't know how to make under seasoned chicken or reuse a tea bag (laughs) which made me lol um because i yes just so funny just so funny eric mccormick will from will and grace uh plays the owner and uh head editor editor and editor-in-chief i guess it's called of this book publishing company oh god he has aged so well he is so fucking hot Um, he's there Garcelle Beauvais from The Real House of Beverly Hills plays this famous author that Nella and Hazel that got them into writing and books named Diana Gordon she's there Um, there are some really fun uh, bit parts Hunter Parrish from Weeds plays Nella's boyfriend it's 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 such a fun show and there's a mystery to it that doesn't go to like the most um, not the it's an interesting thing but like it's obviously not realistic. It's like a supernatural kind of twist. But it's very... Re- like the the metaphor behind it is super interesting and real. Um, it's just... It's really fun. Like trying... There there are so many mysteries wrapped up into this. Like Nella gets notes. Like threatening notes. being like leave Wagner now. Wagner being the place where she works. And trying to figure out who sent those and why. And this history of Diana. This author that she loves. And her editor and best friend kendra ray who was the only black editor in the history of this book publishing company and then the tension between hazel and nella of how they can work together and support each other but also the built-in rivalry that's there because they're the only black women in this company it's so good it is it's it's engrossing. It's funny. There's a mystery to unsolve. There's thriller elements, like some jump scares every once in a while. And, but it's also a comedy. Like it just so perfectly combines so many genres so well. And it ends up like this great satire, right? Like the, like we probably think of satires either as comedy or horror, um, or both. And this is a great example of both. Uh, I loved it. The other black girl and it's the whole series is streaming now on Hulu. It just came out on Wednesday, the 13th. I cannot recommend it enough. It is such a fast watch. It is so like, like literally you're you need, you need to set aside if you like four and a half, five hours, set aside a whole afternoon or a day or a couple hours, one night, and then a couple hours the next day where you can break it up into two parts. You're going to want to finish it before you do anything else in your life. I felt the same way about the book, but I also highly recommend the book. Read the book because the book does have a different ending and some other different parts, and it kind of sets up a season two. But it also ends very satisfyingly, so it's not a cliffhanger. But it does leave some like dangling threads that could be explored. It's just very smart, and I love that it, the the author Zakia Dan- Delilah Harris was involved because I feel like you always get the best work out of an adaptation when you include the person who created this world and it's based on her life when she worked in publishing before she sold this book the other black girl um it's so good it's so good watch it the other black girl is streaming now on hulu okay um some podcast updates i'm not sure what's going on what's going to happen moving forward um there is some stuff starting this week that i'm interested in that i uh potentially will watch. The, the Murdoch murders for on Netflix comes back for season two, which will follow the trial and conviction of Alex Murdaugh of the murder of his son and wife. That is coming out on Wednesday, so I'm probably going to watch that. American Horror Story starts again on Wednesday. And then the week after, we're getting the quote-unquote traditional broadcast season launch. So like Survivor comes back with 90-minute episodes. Um, the Masked Singer is back and you know like like the, the 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 usual reality stuff is is basically filling the network schedule. So we have a lot of that stuff coming back. So I'm not sure if I'm going to start going back to weekly things, if I'm going to go bi-weekly again. Um I'm talking to someone about potentially recapping every week of RuPaul's Drag Race UK and seeing how that maybe might work. So we'll see because that starts the week after next as, or not when you're listening to this starts next week um so so we'll see i'm not sure just subscribe to the podcast if you don't already put on auto download if you have not already and when a new episode drops a new episode drops like i don't make money off this it's not my livelihood i just do it because i'm bored and it's fun you know so yeah subscribe auto download I'm supposed to ask for reviews, I don't care. Review if you want, I really don't give a shit. But yeah, just in general, I don't know what my release schedule is going to be moving forward. Um, So to not have to worry about if you've missed episodes, just subscribe and download. Auto-download is the important one because then you don't have to worry about going, like, through the 50 podcasts you subscribe to looking for what's new that you actually want to listen to because i am guilty of being that person who subscribes to a bunch of podcasts that i only listen to sporadically and if they release like daily episodes good luck trying to find that bi-weekly episode that released something to three weeks ago and you're you know drowning in 15 episodes of one podcast and you subscribe to four of them you know what i mean Okay, that does it. I'll be back next week, maybe, (laughs) with more news, more recaps, more reviews, more analyses, and have a good week, everyone.